Queen of the Blues is a Unity Arts production made with the support of the National Lottery Heritage Fund, written by Lil Warren and based on the findings of the heritage teams on the community research project, The Blue Circle of Descent. There is a much higher character from that of a wit or a poet or a savant, which is that of a rational, sociable being, willing to carry on the commerce of life with all the sweetness and condescension decency and virtue will permit. Elizabeth Montague was famously described as Queen of the Blues by Samuel Johnson. She was a Shakespeare critic, salon hostess and champion of women's writing and one of the leaders of the Blue Stocking Society during the latter half of the 18th century. When dissent, debate and radical thought were shaping how we would regard our places in society in the future. I often think that those people are the happiest who know nothing at all of the world and sitting in the little empire of the fireside where there is no contention or cabal, think we are in a golden age of existence. She attracted the leading writers, politicians and artists of her day to her sparkling London assemblies, where she placed a new emphasis on conversation as a pleasurable and enlightened pursuit. Her guests included Samuel Johnson, Joshua Reynolds, George, Lord Littleton, David and Eva Garrick, William Pulteney, Earl of Bath, Horace Warpole, Edmund Burke, Elizabeth Carter, and later Anna Letitia Barbold, Fanny Burney, and the poet Hannah Moore, who would describe the blue stockings in her poem, Le Bas Bleu, Thus, the vanquished triple crown to you, Bascawan sage, bright Montague, divided, fell. Your cares in haste rescued the ravaged realms of taste, and Littleton's accomplished name, and witty Pulteney shared the fame. The men, not bound by pedant rules, no ladies' pursuers ridicules, for polished Walpole showed the way. How wits may be both learned and gay. And Carter taught the female train. The deeply wise are never vain. And she, who Shakespeare's wrongs redressed, proved that the brightest are the best. This just deduction still they drew, and well they practiced what they knew. Nor taste nor wit deserves applause, unless still true to critic laws. Good sense of faculties the best, inspire and regulate the rest. Elizabeth Montague, near Robinson, was born in 1718 and as a child lived at Treasurer's House in York. In her girlhood, she spent a lot of time with her grandmother at Cambridge, where she met and befriended. Margaret Cavendish Harley, later Duchess of Portland. In a telling letter of 1738 to her new friend, 
the twenty-year-old Elizabeth confessed. I never saw one man that I loved. I fancy in matrimony one finds variety in one, in the charming vicissitudes of sometimes my plague, sometimes my darling, kissing today, tomorrow snarling. <laughs> then, the surprising and sudden transformation of the obsequious and obedient lover to the graceful haughtiness and imperiousness of a commanding husband must be so agreeable a metamorphosis as not to be equalled in all of Ovid's collection, where I do not remember a lamb's being transformed into a bear. During her young womanhood, she spent a lot of time in London and Bath, from where in 1739 she again writes to the Duchess. Of invalids, the morning after I came to Bath, I went to the ladies' coffee house where I heard of nothing but the rheumatism in the shoulder, the sciatica in the hip, and the gout in the toe. After these complaints which ran around the room, I began to fancy myself in a hospital or infirmary. I never saw such an assembly of disorders. I dare say Gay wrote his fable of the court of death from this place. Elizabeth Montague was a prolific letter writer especially to her sister, Sarah Scott, author of a description of Millennium Hall and the country adjacent. Yet, as she complains here in July 1740, Sarah was never to write in return to Elizabeth anywhere near as often. Dear sister, I am much obliged to you and the rest of the good family at Horton for loving me so much better than you think I do you. For you are all uneasy if I miss writing a post at the same time as you forget to inform me of your healths. This is the fifth letter I have wrote to Haunton from the 25th of June to the present 2nd of July, which I think exceeds the number of those I have received from you by a considerable balance. Here ends in my haste the laconic epistle, ever yours, E.R. On the 5th of August, 1742, Elizabeth married Edward Montague, a 50-year-old bachelor more than twice her age, and as a grandson of Edward Montague, first Earl of Sandwich, extremely well-connected. He was a Member of Parliament for Huntingdon, and was to inherit coal mines in Northumberland and estates in Berkshire and Yorkshire. Theirs was a warm and companionable marriage. In November 1742, Elizabeth wrote from York to her husband in London. I would request of you not to take a footman that has not certainly had the smallpox, for their falling sick, though one may then remove them, gives me some uneasiness. Having that exquisite sense of danger that the vulgar call fear and cowardice, and at present being of more than ordinary consequence, I should be a little disturbed at such an accident. Farewell. My best wishes ever attend you, and my constant remembrance of you every hour speaks me with the most entire affection. Yours, E. Montague. On 11th of May, 1743, after a difficult labour, their son, John, affectionately nicknamed Punch, was born. The parents were delighted with his vigorous growth. But the baby's unexpected death in the following September was a grievous blow and there were no further children. The absence of those we love is always a pain, 
but may be alleviated by conversing with pen and ink, by which we convey some of our thoughts, though many perish in silence. Beginning in 1750, Elizabeth and her husband established a routine. In the spring, they would go to Sandalford in Berkshire, which had been Edward Montague's since 1730, and then they would spend the winter in Mayfair, London. Elizabeth Montague was an enthusiastic taker of the waters in Bath and other spars and cures. She writes to Benjamin Stillingfleet in 1758. I began Islington Waters today. I'm anxious for Mr Emin, who went with Commodore Ho. I can give credit very easily to what you say of the potatoes. They make a fine meal and better starch than the finest wheat. And I have known the potatoes meal put into pudding because better than wheat flour. Lord Chesterfield exhorted the Irish to make starch of it. Thank God we have a prospect of a good harvest from the refreshing rains we have had of late. In 1760, Elizabeth Montague was encouraged by poet and statesman George Littleton to write for Dialogues of the Dead, a collection of fictitious dialogues between kings, queens and philosophers who were separated by centuries. She contributed three sections to the work, 26 to 28, anonymously. Later that year, the king, George II, dies, and she writes to Littleton. I am mortified not to be in town to hear the solemn tollings of the bells and the discharge of the cannon at the time of His Majesty's funeral. Indeed, I should have wished to have seen the ceremony, for gravity heightens pomp. Gay processions appear less noble. I am, with the greatest regard, your lordship's most obliged and faithful humble servant, E.M. Throughout the 1760s, the cultural oasis hosted at the Montague London home of 23 Hill Street attracted stylish figures such as the autobiographer Mary Pendaves, her friend Anne Donnellan, friend of Handel, the poet Edward Young, Gilbert West, the friend of Pope, Francis Boscoen, and her esteemed rival, Salonnière Elizabeth Vesey, with whom she maintained a warm correspondence. My expedition hither, having been by various things retarded, my dear Mrs. Vesey's letter lay some time in expectation of my arrival, and so much business crowded in upon me that this is the first leisure moment I have had to answer it. <gasps> I imagine that you will soon be leaving the watery element. Therefore I shall reserve till I hear you have landed on some stable shore an account of what I have been doing since I set my face northward. When I know my letter will certainly find you, it shall be full of a thousand details, interesting to a friend, but which only tire the postmaster of Scarborough, who very probably may be the sole proprietor of what I am now writing. Pray, my dear friend, why do you run such hazard of becoming a mermaid? It has long been established that you are the most amiable woman upon earth. 
but I much doubt whether you would obtain any great consideration in the vast ocean. In the late 1760s, Elizabeth Montagu published an essay on the writings and genius of Shakespeare. She is attributed thereafter for the rising of Shakespeare's reputation and his elevation to Britain's national bard. This work is said by scholars to be culturally important and part of the knowledge base of civilization as we know it. Few people know anything of the English history but what they learn from Shakespeare. For our story is rather a tissue of personal adventures and catastrophes than a series of political events. There was a pretty redness in his lip, a little riper and more lusty red than that mixed in his cheek. It was just the difference betwixt the constant red and mingled damask. There be some women, Silvius, had them marked in in parcels, as I did, will have gone near to fall in love with him. But for my part, I love him not, nor hate him not. And yet I have more cause to hate him than to love him. For what had he to do to chide at me? And on December 23rd, she wrote of her essay to George Littleton. I am sorry to tell you that a friend of yours is no longer a concealed scribbler. I had better have employed a town crier to have proclaimed me as an author, but being whispered it has circulated with incredible swiftness. I look very innocent when I am attacked about the essay and say I don't know what they mean. I shall set about a new edition as soon as your lordship comes to town, for the first thousand is in great part sold, though the booksellers have done me all the prejudice in their power. Edward Montague died in 1775, leaving Elizabeth a large fortune and sizeable estates, including Sandalford Priory, which she enlarged in 1777, and the construction began on Montague House, now 22 Portman Square, London, and was completed in 1782. In this richly decorated London home, she continued to bring together sensual and intellectual pleasure and to allow talents to flourish. In a letter to her friend and fellow author, Hester Chapone, she says of her admirer, Dr Samuel Johnson. Your anecdotes of Dr Johnson, my dear madam, are very different from Mr Boswell's. Yours do honour to the subject, the writer, and harm to no one. He indeed tells the world that Mr Boswell thought highly of Dr Johnson, but all he relates of him tends to diminish the world's esteem of his friend and raise up many particular enemies to his memory. Elizabeth Montague was a public figure within 18th century culture, whose achievements not only illuminate the history of several important aspects and locations of her age, but also bring together a number of connected lives. She placed herself at the heart of several important networks of the age, with the ability to bestow favour in a regal manner. 
as she wrote in a letter to her fellow blue stocking Mrs. Vesey in 1781. We have lived with the wisest, the best, and the most celebrated men of our times, and with some of the best, most accomplished, most learned women of any times. As the 18th century drew to a close, revolutionary events in France resulted in the British government clamping down on radical thought and action. The blue stocking connections with French philosophers would not be helpful to them, but the decline of the movement was also due to the original leaders, like Montague and Vesey, coming to the end of their lives and their influence. A comment from Unity Arts. The 19th century was to be a very different world, where class difference would continue to be cemented, but where women's place was not just in the home, but also in the mill and the factory. Education for girls was viewed in relationship to the need for skilled workers, rather than the thought of female authors and artists. In truth, the blue stockings were mainly passionate about education for their own kind. They did not champion the rights of the servants or the poor, and they rallied no movement in their name. The battlefield had changed and would become more political as the likes of Mary Wollstonecraft raised the banner of the rights of women. Elizabeth Montague, whose influence and patronage of great minds we still feel today, died at Montague House on the 25th of August, 1800. She was 81 and was buried in Winchester alongside her husband and infant son. I endeavour to drink deep of philosophy and to be wise when I cannot be merry, easy when I cannot be glad, Content with what cannot be mended, and patient where there is no redress. The mighty can do no more, the wise seldom do as much. I am resolved to make the best of all the circumstances around me, that this short life may not be half lost in pains. Between the periods of birth and burial, I would fain insert a little happiness, a little pleasure, a little peace. Today is ours, yesterday is past, and tomorrow may never come. Queen of the Blues was written and directed by Lil Warren, with sound design by Yvonne Gilbert. Elizabeth Montague was played by Zara Hadishan Banks, Hannah Moore and Phoebe Priscilla Olympio, with narration by Sarah J. Warren. This is a Unity Arts audio documentary for Blue Circle of Descent, a National Lottery Heritage Fund supported project.